We're uh, going to change things up just a little bit in difference in order this morning. Uh, when we are done at the end of the service conclusion, we'll dismiss you to go have communion. It's set around in the room. You can go anywhere you want. Have some time of quiet uh, when we're dismissed this morning. Uh, I'm, I am going to jump in right now to uh, our message. And actually today we start a series that was planned four or five months ago. Uh, and uh, God is not surprised by anything and God prepares us in his plan and is ready for everything that comes our way and uh, God knew that we needed a sermon on trust today so um, this was already planned and here it is and thank you God for uh, preparing and and going ahead of us Uh, and so as we kick off our sermon series today we're kicking off our our launch to Easter uh, and it's called Red Letter Jesus Uh, and for those of you that have that kind of Bible, some Bibles, um, the words that Jesus would have spoken uh, in your Bible are, are written in red. So some of you, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, all three chapters are, are in red because that was a sermon that Jesus preached. Well, when we get to the end of the Gospels, in some fashion, they all have um, Jesus' last day. They have a cross moment. Well, there are seven different sayings that Jesus speaks on the cross. Uh, And so today we begin talking about the first of those seven sayings leading us up to to Easter. Um, And as we were getting ready and preparing for this, um, uh, a little bit of my past came to to my mind. And I was reminded of something I experienced when I was in the third grade. Um, and there's a reason I can remember back to the third grade because um, it was um, a very memorable time for me. It was 1975. Some of you don't even know what 1975 was. Some of you have forgotten what 1975 was. Um, but 1975, I remember because um, I lived in Kansas and it was July. Uh, and so if you've ever been in the Midwest, um, in the Midwest, heat comes with a special little gift um, because uh, we get rain in the wintertime. Uh, the Midwest gets rain in the summertime. And so if you had heat and rain, what do you get to go with the heat? Humidity. And in 1975, where did you hide from the humidity? Because in 1975, most houses didn't have air conditioning. Certainly not our circa 1900 two-story uh, home. It was a, it was a very, nice, uh, very nice house, but... All I had was a swamp fan in the, in the top uh, ceiling. Um, and so there was two places in northern Kansas for us to go. One was the movies. Well, you can't hang out at the movies all day long. The other was the city pool. Because you don't swim in the rivers in Kansas. Because you know what they're in the rivers in Kansas? Poisonous snakes. So, um, so we go to the pool. So we hung out in the pool. Loved the pool. We spent so much time in the pool. Our parents were like, you know, we should probably get them lessons because uh, they're going to spend so much time in the pool. So, so they did, and we got to have swim lessons. And, man, I, I loved the pool, uh, and we loved hanging out and enjoyed taking swimming lessons. Um, and as a matter of fact, one summer I did two sets of swimming lessons. We did session one, and then I graduated and did session two, the next one. Well, as we were going through swimming lessons, uh, you know, you get to the end and you graduate and you do more and more difficult things. Well... About the third, I think it was the third session or so, you got towards the end of the week, and we got to do something that I had been watching all the older kids do. 
Because in free swim in the afternoons, um, you know, there's only so much tag you can play in the pool. And then you start getting in the line and you start going off the diving board. Well, the big kids went off the high dive. And so as we got towards the end of our two weeks, it was our turn to practice going off the high dive in the pool. The high dive was 12 feet from the surface of the pool. I was in the third grade. So time came. He, he had prepared us. He talked us through it the whole nine yards, and it was time. We all lined up on the sidewalk, and, and he got out in the middle of the pool, and he's treading water out in the middle of the pool. He's like, all right, your time. Go. So I got up to the ladder, and man, one step, two steps, three steps. One step at a time, four. One step at a time, five. Twelve feet. And I'd, I'd never been 12 feet out in the middle of nowhere in the air before. This was different. And I stepped up onto the board, and you're hanging onto the garden, you know, the handrails, nothing, nothing behind you. This is good, all right? And you walk out, then you get to the end of the handrails, and you're not to the end of the board. There were six more feet to the end of the board, and no handrails. And I can't see my instructor because board's in the way. And so I gently tread out. To the end of the board. There he is, 15 feet down to death. I'd watched some kids do belly flops off the high dive. I knew that hurt. So there's, there's fear surrounding all of this. And I said, Come on, it'll be all right. We've talked through it. I'm right here. Well, I knew he wasn't going to catch me because that hurt us both. Um, and he talked me through what was going to happen. He goes, you're going to jump off, you're going to go down, you're going to go into the water, you're going to go down. You hold your breath. At some point, you will stop going down. And buoyancy will do its job, and you will come back up to the top. And when you come back up, I'll be right there. I'll grab hold of you. There was that moment as a little third grader. Do I trust my instructor? He said, I got it. You got it. Okay. Looked over at mom in the stands. Go, go. Point of decision. And off I stepped into free space. Exhilarating and scary all at the same time. You hit the water and the water surrounds you and you're like, am I ever going to stop? Am I ever going to stop? Sure enough, buoyancy took over and I rose to the surface and he grabbed hold of me and he said, good job pushed me to the edge and off I went pretty soon you know we were all jumping off the high dive and diving off the high dive and and and, and it was wonderful but it took that moment that decision is do I trust what he's instructed do I trust that it's going to be that way and it began a journey for me I didn't understand it at the time but I look back now about trusting and it's really where we're going to land in our story today because 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 though there is a phrase in our story today we're really going to land around the accusations that were made in that moment we're going to land around some of the things the crowd was doing what they were saying what they were taunting jesus with as he hung there that afternoon so read with me matthew chapter 27 
Um, if you're at home, go ahead and open up your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to start uh, in verse 37. We're going to go through verse 46. Uh, and we're just going to read this first of seven interactions, statements of Jesus on the cross. Over his head, they put this charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. There were two robbers crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. People were passing by because he's hung by a road. They were mocking him, deriding him, wagging their heads. They said, you who would destroy the temple ha! and rebuild it in three days, look at you. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. See, they were very proud. They had said, we are sons of Abraham. Jesus said, I, I, I am the son of God. He said, well, if you, you son of God, save yourself. If you will not align yourself with us. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, and they mocked Jesus. Ha, he saved others. They'd seen that. They were a little afraid of that. A sick woman, who they knew was on the brink of death, walked out of a room. A dead man by the name of Lazarus came out of a tomb. They couldn't deny the miraculous things Jesus had done. But here they had him on the cross. He saved others. Ha! He cannot save himself, king of Israel. Well, let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusts in God. We'll let God deliver him now if he desires him. Trusts in God. They had followed him around for three years. I am certain there were conversations between Jesus and the religious leaders. And they had said, Jesus, just align yourself with us. Jesus, just, just stop this ridiculousness. Fall in line with the teachings. Fall in line with, with our our practices, our traditions. Jesus said, no, I don't trust in you. I'm going I'm to trust in God. So they throw it back in his face. Throw these things back in his face as Jesus is suspended in the air. The weight of his body held up by a few spikes and pieces of rope. Insults that mock him. The robbers were crucified with him, also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land. That's, that's Jewish time. In our time, they'd be about noon. Until the ninth hour, about three. So three hours, darkness came all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here we are in this moment at the cross. Jesus doesn't say very many things. 
But what he does say is significant. And so we, we start this journey to listen to and to take notice of this moment in history. Key verse this morning is, is, is an accusation that the, the religious leaders made. He trusts in God. Yes, 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 he did. So we start asking, so what is trust? Trust is the firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability of someone or something. Trust is only required when we cannot either see or figure out a way to the other side. For me as a third grader on the high dive in northern Kansas, I experienced in a, in a minuscule, minute way what Jesus was living out that horrific day in Jerusalem. He and God had talked out in detail what would be required of Jesus to save humanity. And yet as the course of events were set in motion, much like stepping off the high dive, he had to trust that God would be waiting for him on the other side of the suffering, the pain, and the death. How would Jesus trust like that? How does Jesus come to that point, that moment in his life where he could trust, suspended from the cross, that God was going to be there? Well, we have to go back a few years to find out. You see, Jesus trusted God at the outset of his ministry. Just like the journey of trust had began for me in Kansas, the journey for Jesus to this moment on the cross began three years earlier at the Jordan River. Began at a little place where, where his cousin, actually John, was baptizing in the Jordan River. Baptizing people for the forgiveness of sin. John knew Jesus well. He knew Jesus didn't need baptism, but Jesus comes and they have a short argument. Jesus wins. Um, and, and John baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus comes out of the water, we get to see um, the physical manifestation of God the Father. God speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We get to see the physical manifestation of Jesus the Son in person. He's there. He's being brought up out of the water. And we see a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It comes down as a dove. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all there in that moment. It is a beautiful moment where God affirms Jesus in his ministry. And then he immediately sends Jesus on a journey of trust. Forty days out into the wilderness. I don't know if you know it, but literally... If you are a healthy human being, you can survive no more than 40 days without food or water, medically. There are things that happen about day 25, some more things that happen about day 35, and literally at day 40, your body shuts down and you die. And God says, Jesus, in you I am well pleased. We are here together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here we go. Jesus, I want you and your humanity to trust me. Go to the desert. I've been to the Judean desert. There are places in the Judean desert that you can walk for days and never see a sprig of grass, 
a green shoot of a shrub, a tree, nothing. Looks like that. And as God says, Jesus and you I am well pleased, let your ministry begin, he sends him there. And for 40 days, Jesus doesn't have food, water, shelter, protection, and he meets Satan face to face. And for 40 days, Jesus fights back. For 40 days, as the tempter brings temptation after temptation, Jesus recites scripture after scripture to ward him off. And he survives. And at the end of 40 days, the Holy Spirit ministers to him. And God says, now you're ready. And off he goes to Galilee to begin speaking to people. And somewhere early on in his ministry, he goes back home. How well accepted are you back home as an adult? Sometimes it's really tough. Jesus finds his toughest crowd back at home. As a matter of fact, he goes back to his home synagogue that he grew up in, and, he, and, uh, and they're like, oh, you're home. Go up and read for us today. So Jesus goes up to the front. He opens up the scroll. Man, that would have been so, oh, my goodness. Oh, to open up the scroll of Isaiah. I mean, you, you didn't go to everybody's home and open up their Bible. I mean, the scroll was at the temple. And so Jesus gets the, the very gracious public duty of opening up the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and he says to his people of his hometown as he rolls it up, these words are being fulfilled in your presence today. I am the Son of God. And they erupt into riot, and they grab Jesus, and they begin to march him to the edge of a cliff and to throw him off. And one of my favorite passages says, and as they approached the cliff, Jesus walked away in their midst. Now, I, I, I want to know, what, what was that like? I mean, was this some like kind of frozen moment where all of a sudden they can't move anymore and Jesus walks away? Are they, are they, are they you know, struck to the ground and, and, and drop him and Jesus walks out as they're, as they're bowed down? I, I don't know. But I can imagine the mental conversation between Jesus and God because they knew the plan. Jesus knew what was going to happen and, and, and it wasn't going to be like this. He's like, God, these guys are taking me to the edge of the cliff. What's going on? God says, I got this. And as they get there, he provides a way out, and Jesus literally walks from their midst. Jesus has to trust God in the midst of his ministry uh, for, for food and protection in Luke 9. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have headquarters. He had no place to retreat or hide. Food and shelter were for Jesus, a trust for daily provision for three years. Day by day. He didn't wake up and go to the pantry or the refrigerator. He had to trust God day in and day out. Jesus trusted God to proclaim truth in the midst of a hostile environment. Jesus had to trust God in the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of my favorite places to visit on the planet, the little olive garden. Um, that's 
just across the valley from the town of Jerusalem. It's got 400, 500-year-old trees. There's no trees there today that were around when Jesus, but it's the same garden, does the same thing. And it's a quiet little place. And after Jesus has Passover with his disciples, they leave Jerusalem and go down the valley and go out to this little garden. And he prays. You guys have maybe read this prayer. He said, God, I, I know we've talked about this. I know for three years we've led up to this. And God, I know what's waiting me back in town. Is there any way that we can do this different? In that little garden, God answered, no. What do we do when God answers no? I get frustrated when God answers no. I get rebellious when God answers no. Jesus trusted. Because trust me, in that little garden and people on foot, Jesus had plenty of time when God said no to say, well, then I'm going to figure out a way on my own. And he could have run and would have had plenty of people in his life that would have protected him and sheltered him. But when God said no, Jesus trusted. And he stood up and he resolutely set his face and walked towards those who would arrest him. And yet, even as he lived a life of trust, there came this question on the cross. Because in his humanity, he couldn't see to the other side. And that's the part we struggle to get all. I struggled to get around that. Man, Jesus was God and human. He was divine and yet of the flesh. And Jesus knew he had talked about what was going to happen. He knew the plan. And yet in the moment, here he is swinging in the wind. And in his humanity, he cannot see to the other side. And at noon in his humanity, he feels the presence of the Holy Spirit leave him. In noon in his humanity, the sky goes dark and he feels the presence of God leave. And in his humanity, he cries out, God, where are you? For the only moment in all of eternity, Jesus experiences separation. Separation from God the Father. Trapped in his body, cut off from the Father, he had to trust that God would come through and provide the life and the resurrection that had been promised. But for the moment, he couldn't see it. For the moment, he would have to trust. Three short years earlier, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. God speaks. There is this beautiful point in history. As a matter of fact, the only point I can find in the Bible where all three manifest themselves in the same place, in the same moment of time, in a physical way. Speech, body, and dove. 
And yet here on the cross, the sin of humanity severs the connection between Father, Son, and Spirit. And Jesus hangs stripped, beaten, and alone on the cross. Where was the Father he had trusted? Where was God? Well, I'll tell you where God was. God was ahead of Jesus, just on the other side of Jesus' death and burial. And Jesus allowed our sin, my sin, to separate he and God so that we would experience God's presence for eternity. Where was the Holy Spirit? He was ahead waiting to visit Jesus once again on Sunday morning with resurrection power. Jesus refrains from exercising the power of the Spirit. Jesus could have called out legions of angels and could have obliterated those who were mocking him at the crowd at the foot of the cross. And yet, he stayed, trusted God, relied on the plan so that we might benefit and live. So how do we trust like that? How do we trust like Jesus did? Well, we have to know God like Jesus did. We have to practice trusting like Jesus did. The more we spend time with the Father, the more times we rely on Him and not on our own efforts, the more we will experience His faithfulness. The day I jumped off the high dive wasn't the first day that I had met my instructor. It wasn't the first time that he had said, trust me. It wasn't the first time where he had separated himself and said, you can do it, come to me, you'll make it, it'll be okay. And if you don't, I will, I will get you. And Jesus had experienced that with God for three years. The only way you get to trust God like Jesus did is to get to know him and make a conscious decision to let go. That part is called faith. That's the sermon for another day. When we feel like God has abandoned us, the cross reminds us that separation from God has already been dealt with. What we may be experiencing is God's patience, patiently waiting for us to take our own step of faith so that we can experience what he has for us. That we can only receive when we express our trust in him through an act of faith. When we feel like the Holy Spirit has left us, the cross reminds us that his power is there always for us. Capable to overcome anything that we face, including death. It is the Holy Spirit's seal upon us that guarantees our entrance into heaven. That is incredible news for us. That is great hope to live by. That is something that we can put our trust in. And in this Easter season, we must allow the cross and the resurrection to remind us of that. Four things about God that I wanted to remind us as we begin this journey over the next several weeks. First is that God is always with me. 
Because Jesus on the cross, because Jesus allowed separation, he also allowed a way that we would together always be with God. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 13, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Nothing. When you feel alone, let the cross remind you that Jesus took our separation so there would never again be separation between God and us. Secondly, Remember, God is for me. Romans 8, Paul writes this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God moved through thousands of years of human history to bring us to the point of Jesus and the cross. God is for you and me. And through Jesus, we are forever connected because he loves us. Because of that, because God is for us, because God is always with us. And in these days where there is so much fear and panic going around us, we must remember Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In these days of panic and fear, where do you find peace? At the foot of the cross in Jesus. Anxiety and trust cannot occupy the same room in our hearts. In these days, we will live by one or the other. If we want true peace, we must trust him fully and not take our own problems back from him. Set them at his feet. Trust and be at peace. Third, God is close to the brokenhearted. David writes in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saved, saves the crushed in spirit. And David knows a little bit about that. And he could write that. And man, I know this is the place where we can feel abandoned by God. When we're wounded and hurting. When people around us have hurt us. When people around us have left us. It can feel like, man, God's gone too. But remember, the next time your heart is broken to lean into the presence of God. When we give our lives to Jesus and we, reunite, we unite ourselves with him, he takes away our sin. Jesus becomes our connection to the God. The Holy Spirit seals our presence with him. And there is never separation. God is never, never away from us. He will always meet us. He is always there for us. Fourth and last the cross reminds us that God has a plan. 
for me. Peter writes this in, first, in his first book. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is God's plan for us? Is that we would be gospel sharers, that we would take the love of God, the truth of Christ to the people around us and let them have the same hope and promise that we live by today. Often, we have to take the first step of faith to understand and experience what God's plan is for our life. We often sit back and we pray, God, what do you want me to do? God, what's your will for my life? And God says, my will is that you would trust me. I don't know what that is. I do. Take a step. But God, I can't see. I know. I can. But God, I don't know how it's going to... I know. I do. Do you trust me? God will rarely reveal what he wants us to do in advance. Nor will he force us into compliance. What he simply asks is will you trust? Will you take the step? Living a life of trust like Jesus trusted requires you to embrace the unknown. To walk forward when you cannot see what's ahead. To take the leap of faith. There will be that thrilling moment where, where for you, you step off the edge, you make the decision, okay, I'm going to. Then there will be the moment of panic. Oh no, what did I do? I can't get back, but here I am, suspended in the middle of space. Drowning, it seems. Till buoyancy begins to pick you back up. And then there's the joy of God meeting you to say, wow, well done. Now we can really begin the journey. And let me set you free. It's not easy. At times it's scary. You may be mocked, laughed at, misunderstood. You're in good company. Jesus was all of those things. But the prize that awaits us on the other side of a life of trust is priceless. Man, if you have confessed faith, if you've confessed trust, man, let me give you a challenge today. We all have this diving board in our life. We have this thing that God calls us to. And for some of us, we regularly go out to the end. We regularly get to the place. And God says, man, step, trust me. And we're like, yeah, I can't. And we walk back to the safety of the guardrail. Let me challenge you. If, if there is a place you know God is calling you to trust him, to take a step, write it down. If you're at home, man, grab a, a piece of paper this morning, right now. What is the, the step of faith that God consistently calls you to that you 
have not had enough faith to trust him in. Write it down. And pray this dangerous prayer this week. Every day. Pray, God, this week, will you bring me to that place and help me take the step? And I'm going to trust you're going to meet me on the other side. If you've not given your life to Jesus, man, you, don't, you, you can't connect with this. And I would encourage you. It is an incredible journey to go on. And God is worth trusting. And I would challenge you. Send us an email. Give us a call this week and say, I am ready. I want to give my life to Jesus and trust him. I would love to have that conversation with you this week. Take a step and let God meet you in a place of trust. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us deeply beyond what I can grasp or comprehend. And God, I pray today that we would be people of trust. And God, that we would uh, be able to follow in the footsteps of our brother Jesus, who though he could not see the other side of the cross, stayed and trusted. God, this week, help us to be people of trust and to watch you do incredible things through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How great the care.